In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'm glad to see that you all turn your clocks. I went around the house turning everything, and it confused my wife this morning when she wakes up and says, oh, it's quarter till seven. I said, no, no, it's quarter till six. It's okay. Calm down. And all the company of heaven means everybody we ever loved and lost, including the ones we did not know we loved until we lost them or didn't love at all. It means everybody who ever did or at some unimaginable time in the future ever will come together at something like this table in search of something like what is offered at it. Whatever other reasons we have for coming to such a place, if we come also to give each other our love and to give God our love, then together with Gabriel and Michael and the rector and Sebastian pierced with arrows and the old lady whose teeth don't fit and Teresa in her ecstasy, we are the communion of saints. So I wish you a happy All Saints Day. In the calendar of the church, changes are made <clears throat> and they don't check in with little peons like the priests who are serving. It used to be in the olden days, and maybe some of you remember, that the, the piety of the time was to go to church on the feast day. So it, all saints fell on November the 1st, regardless of what day of the week he went to church on that day. Now it's moved, so it's called the Sunday after all saints. That way none of our schedules are disturbed to go and see God, God forbid. Today, the readings really take us to a situation, an event, uh, a climate of those who are in relationship with God and those who have trust in him. We heard in the wisdom of Solomon the following, the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, they are at peace. Their hope is full of immortality. They will receive great good because God has found them worthy of himself. Those who trust in him will understand truth because grace and mercy are upon the holy ones. The psalmist, who can ascend the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, those who have not pledged themselves to falsehood nor sworn by what is a fraud. In Revelation, the last piece of literature we know in the canons of scripture says, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And God ends by saying, see, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then the same group that put together the schedule throws in an unusual story as part of the gospel reading today, and that is the raising of Lazarus. It is a very well-known story. Everybody knows about Lazarus. And maybe it's because the powerful event that occurred, the rareness, or whatever it is, because it is only contained in the Gospel of John. Mark, Matthew, and Luke 
have nothing to say about Lazarus. But John remembers that event and puts it in his gospel. So what is it about this event? <clears throat> what is it that's happening here? We cannot start where the reading starts today. We have to go before it. And at that time, word comes to Jesus when he is away from Bethany that his friend Lazarus is ill, very ill, and his sisters are summoning him. And then a strange thing happens as far as our belief that Jesus is always compassionate, always available to us. He does not go. Right before Nancy and I moved back home to Dallas, we were serving in Memphis, and I received a call from my nephew that never calls me and says, Dad is very ill. He's been taken by ambulance to Presbyterian. I said, what's wrong? He says, we don't know. It took me about, I don't know, maybe four or five hours to get my little Honda ready to go, and I took off. Jesus didn't do that. Why? He gives us a reason. If he had taken off, stopped everything, taken off over there, and done what he ultimately would do, who would get the glory? He never took the glory for any of the miracles, any of the healings that he did. He says, no, it's not the time to go. I must go so that the Father will be glorified. Meaning what? I have to wait until Lazarus dies before I can go because then God will resurrect him. And then it will be God's glory. So now he arrives and prior to Mary speaking with him, who meets him? The busybody, Martha. All those great Marthas that we need in the church. And she's there, receives the Lord. And then he goes and summons Mary. And then Mary comes, and this is where we pick up the story. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He doesn't respond to that. Again, he does not respond to that. But he says, where have you laid him? He says, come and see. And it is the only time in Scripture that we hear those powerful words, and Jesus wept. He did not shed a tear. He did not get weepy. He wept, folks. He cried. And in some translations it said that he cried and grunted. The man was hurt because his friend, someone that trusted him and Jesus trusted Lazarus, had died. He goes to the tomb it is a regular tomb, and if you've been to the Holy Land, have had a chance to see a tomb, you know what I'm going to be saying. And tombs were hewn, where were either a natural cave or were hewn of the side of the mountain, and it would be six feet long, nine feet wide, ten feet tall. And if it was a family tomb, there would be eight shelves upon which the bodies would be laid, three on one side, three on the other, and two in the back. And it is in a family tomb where Lazarus is laid. And the tomb is sealed with a big rock in front of it. So Jesus says, move the rock. And then Mary 
and Martha are astounded. And Martha, again, being the logical one, Lord, it, it stinks in there. He's been dead for four days. Now, why do we need to know that he was dead for four days? There was a Hebrew belief that when you died, your spirit left your body, but wanted to re-enter your body and give you life again. So the spirit sort of hovered around for four days. And then if it found you, it would re-enter you and you would come back to life. But in that climate, in four days, the bodies decayed so quickly that the spirits never found those who had died. So it is important for John to tell you and me that Lazarus had been dead for four days. The spirit had not come back in. The spirit did not recognize him because he had decayed so much. Therefore, Lord, it stinks in there. And Jesus prays a prayer, asking the Father for the power to do that which needed to be done at that time. And then he, with a loud voice, says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. And John tells us again details so that we would know that this is true, and that is that Lazarus comes out with his linen shroud, his hands and feet bound with bands of cloth, and his face with a different wrapping. And the last words we hear in this miracle is, unbind him and let him go. In other words, that's it. He doesn't need water, doesn't need a Snickers bar. He doesn't need anything. Unbind him and let him go. And they do, and he does. It's an amazing story. Amazing story. Such a powerful story that in the next few verses, John tells us that this is the event that tips the scale and gets the Jewish authorities to begin serious planning how to kill Jesus. Because the authorities could not afford to have someone that powerful walking around doing the miracles and claiming that there was one God in heaven. So, in many ways, Lazarus leads to the cross. We still do not know why the, the three other Gospels do not have this story. In researching that piece, I found there were multiple pages of reasons why, but I figure it would be impossible to cover those in a setting like this. So maybe for another day and another time. But all these theories have been put together are not satisfying to the biblical scholars and historians. So what is this story for us today? I want to say to you that it does not really matter whether or not Jesus raised a putrefied human body around the year 30. What matters is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life for us. That when the dark moments come, 
those times when we feel so alone that there's really no answer to the problems we have, no answer to the life that we're living, that perhaps we find ourselves dead in sin and dead to God. Jesus is there. That's what this story says to us. That is what really matters. And in those dark times, if we're quiet enough, we will hear the Lord call us by name and we'll be told, you are unbound, now go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.